Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. <sighs> visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. From Sugar 23, I'm Angela Ledgerwood, and this is Lit Up. This week is such a joy for me because I'm bringing my friend and colleague, writer and journalist Annie Daly on Lit Up to talk about her new book, Destination Wellness. The book was so refreshing for me to read because it was a reminder of how to get to know ourselves and how we can learn from the world around us. Now, this isn't really a travel book where you have to have been everywhere in the world to understand it. And who could have done that anyway in the last 18 months? It's about bringing the world to you and finding you where you are. I'm so excited to share this conversation. And as I mentioned, Annie and I used to be colleagues at Cosmopolitan magazine. We start the conversation there, reliving our glory days, zipping around the country for certain stories. I hope you enjoy it. have to mention that we were colleagues oh yes do we want to tell them our nickname we have to our nickname was the a team because angie and annie and we sat right next to each other at cosmopolitan magazine as little baby editors and we had so much fun (laughs) together annie talked me off the ledge and i'm sure rewrote many of my little stories the the great thing we did together was this story series called Cosmo Crashes. Oh. <laughs> Please explain what we did. Okay, so keep in mind that this was back in the glory days of print magazines where there was a lot more freedom to do just cool little projects. And so this Cosmo Crashes series was basically where we would go in and crash random events and literally just ask people who were there, like why they were there and what they were thinking. And that was all. And we would have a photographer come with us and take their photos. And it was sort of this window into the culture of the moment. And we would kind of capture the vibe of a particular scene. We did a wedding. We did, we went to Miami once. We crashed we, spring we, break in Miami. Yeah. <laughs> we crashed a wedding. In the wedding was ridiculous. Charlottesville. Yep. We just, we crashed a college bar during finals. Let's say that this was a re- relatively short-lived, <laughs> like six months where we got to go on these trips together that were all paid for and was so much fun. But needless to say, we have traveled together, which is so nice. We have. I found it very appealing to be your travel buddy. Oh my gosh, it was so fun. That Miami trip, we got the chance to explore Miami all weekend long and we could crash whatever it is that we wanted to crash. And it was so fun to be your reporting buddy because it was just a window into how 
you are able to talk to so many people with such ease, which is very evident on this podcast. And it was, yeah, it was so fun. What was the tipping point or what was this moment that you capture in the book that really pushed you over the edge and thought, how do I kind of find integrity in this wellness industry that I'm reporting on? You know, your livelihood depended on reporting on this industry and yet what was this culmination of moments and what had you been seeing in kind of wellness in America and how it was being covered? Right. So I got the idea for this book. I was working as an editor at a big wellness magazine in New York. And as part of that job, I loved so much about the job. I loved my coworkers. I loved working on staff at a magazine and kind of getting insight into this industry. But what I didn't love was the insight that I got. Because it really came to be that the longer I worked at that job, the more I realized that the wellness industry has just become so commercialized. And I was just getting sent all of these products all of the time. There was one moment in particular where I got sent this tomato sauce and it was labeled like high vibe sauce. And it was just one of those things where I looked at it and I was like, what could possibly be in a high vibe tomato sauce that is very clearly canned and packaged and like sent to me at my job? So I looked at the ingredients and it's just like normal ingredients for tomato sauce. And it was just one of those moments where I realized this has gotten over the top. Like we are trying to sell wellness and we are trying to sell the idea that wellness is something that can be bought and sold. When I knew deep down that it's not something that can be sold in the first place, it's not this commercialized thing. It's it's so much deeper than that. I got the idea for the book to go to all of these different places where I was intrigued by some concept, some cultural concept that I had read about that kind of pointed to the fact that wellness there was not so commercialized, but it was more about the way that you think and the way that you live your life. The six places I went to were Jamaica, Hawaii, Norway, India, Japan, and Brazil. All six of those places had a really, really powerful cultural concept that I researched. And then I spoke with everybody there who taught me more about that concept. And it all came back to the fact that wellness is something that you cannot buy, but it's something that comes from within. And therefore it is about taking things away from your life instead of adding things to them. Well, and I think before we dive into the conversation, because so much of talking about wellness and self-care and we'll talk specifically about the origin of self-care. And I think that's a good way to kind of premise this conversation with understanding the privilege that you had to travel to these places. It's like the words have become interchangeable. And in a way, I mean, I don't think that they're interchangeable, but I think that understanding the origins of the word self-care is incredibly useful and necessary for this whole conversation. So self-care started back in the civil rights movement in the 60s. And it was a way for Black people to sort of take care of themselves in a world that wasn't taking care of them. So it was really, it was an act of resistance. And it has, since then, it has morphed into this concept that has been largely overtaken by white people and by this whole industry that is selling this idea that it's this expensive product. But really it was, it goes back to 
an act of cultural resistance. It's so much bigger than these products. Let's start with the first place you visited then because it's Jamaica. And from knowing yes. you in our Cosmo days, I knew that you were obsessed with Jamaica then and that you would travel there whenever you could. I really have always loved Jamaica. And that's because I have just had a lifelong obsession with reggae music. And it it started as as most of these like deep dive interests do. I just began to realize that reggae was not just about the music, but it was about the culture. And so I started looking into Rastafari culture as I just grew increasingly interested in reggae. And I realized that there was this whole wellness theme in Rastafari that not that many people were talking about. Like people definitely tend to associate Rastas with a terrible stereotype, which is just you know, lazy stoners, basically. And the more that I got to know them through my reporting, the more I realized that it was the exact opposite of that. Like so many of the Rastas that I interviewed are some of the most righteous, like health-minded, smart, intelligent people that I have ever met. And the whole reason that I got into that is that I got the chance to interview this popular reggae star named Chronix. I love. And he is the one who, who introduced me to this concept called ITAL. And ITAL is the Rastafari way of healthy living. And he brought it up because I was asking him, he came to New York and we were doing an interview for the wellness magazine that I was working at. And I was sort of just kind of like breaking the ice and asking him like, you know, if he had gotten the chance to check out any yoga classes while he was in New York, because I had heard that he was into yoga. And he just sort of looked at me and he stopped and he said, no, I mean, yoga is not something that you have to go to. It's something that I do every day. And it was just one of those quotes where it was so simple and yet so genius. And it made me like immediately embarrassed as an interviewer. I was like, oh my God, how did I ask such a dorky question? But then I realized he's so right. Like it really is about the the way that you think and not the idea that you have to go to these things and you have to buy these products. What were the parts of ITAL that he was talking about um, in terms of his lifestyle? Right. So, so much about ITAL is it's really important to understand the history of it before we get into how it has evolved today, because it's definitely sort of like self-care. Like so many of these ideas and concepts have a history and then they kind of like go in these, you know, different directions. But the history of ITAL, it stems back to the 1930s. And that's when Rastafari originated in Jamaica. And it has a really sad history because it's a product of oppression And it's basically this group of Jamaicans came together and it was during British colonialism. And they said, you know what, we are going to form our own community because we are not getting treated well. They decided to form their own community where they would then grow all of their own food so that they didn't have to participate in British grocery stores or any of the the British systems. And so it started out of necessity where by avoiding everything British, they they had to start growing all of their food themselves. And what evolved was this deep connection to the land as a result. And so now today it has morphed into this, this deeper 
connection to the land, but it's really interesting and important to realize that it stems from colonialism. And it's this beautiful movement that has evolved out of such such a terrible past. But the bigger concept behind that natural food movement is actually this idea of self-reliance. And so when you talk to most Rastas today, they'll talk about eating natural foods, but really they'll talk about growing the food themselves because doing so is a way to separate yourself from mainstream society in a world that still might not be serving you. And that, I think, is the crucial difference between the the surface level definition of ITAL and the deeper one, because so many people, like, they hear the word vegan and they assume that it's, like, just about the food alone, but it's so much deeper and it's about the idea of how you position yourself in the world and how you think of yourself how empowering it is to think of this idea that being self-reliant is a way in which you can sort of choose who you choose to support. So much of what I learned from the Rastas in Jamaica is that when you're choosing to grow things yourself, that means you're also choosing to not support the bigger industries that might not serve you. We're having this conversation in New York City where almost I feel like we're trained to shut off to move forward. Like you shut off caring, oh, I didn't mean to get a takeaway coffee because of the containers because I'm trying not to, you know, perpetuate waste. Mm -hmm. And yet we know that's in conflict to one of our values, but we just kind of numb ourselves to move forward. You know, you have to numb yourself totally. just to get on the subway sometimes. The Rastas really live by their values. Yes, that is such a great way to think of it because I have noticed that I have been less likely to numb myself because I have all of these, I was just so privileged to be able to speak to all of these smart and intelligent and fascinating people. And I have their voices in my head now. When I feel myself numbing out, I'll think of the Rasas and I'll say like, no, think of this as a choice that you have to make your, your decisions better. And also to have integrity for ourselves. I want to have values that I live by and stick to. The well-being comes from being a person that commits to things. And that's actually a point. One of the points was being true to your commitments, like social Ooh, commitments, yes. which leaps somewhere else. And I thought that was really interesting about having integrity as well seems to link into wellness, well-being. It definitely does. The country that you were thinking of was Brazil because um, the in Brazil, one of the main cultural concepts that I looked into was this word called saudade. And basically it explains this like emotional pain that you feel when you're away from the people that you love. And it's this very just like heartfelt, deeply uh, ingrained idea in Brazil that, that hanging out with the people you love is a wellness practice. And so staying true to your friend dates or your, your family reunions or whatever it is, like your social calendar, staying true to that isn't just to honor your 
your dates, but it's to honor yourself. It's to honor your mental health. I really understood there that wellness and spending time with your community are are so incredibly linked. And again, that gets back to this idea that all of these wellness practices in the book, they're not about products. Like sometimes when I tell people that I wrote this book, they're like, oh, you must have gotten some great like lotions or like, ooh, tell me about like the you know, face mask that you learned about or the, the wellness spa, spa you that you like checked into or that sort of thing. But it's really not about that. It's about these fundamental pillars of thought that can re that can help you reframe the way that you think about your life. So when you're thinking about honoring your friend date, not just to like not let your friend down, but to not let yourself down, that's a pretty huge thought. And it, it's so different and it will help you live your life in a better way, I think. I think it, this links definitely to Hawaii in that, well, everything in the book links to really coming back to ancient wisdom. Mm-hmm. And we're obviously for many of us very disconnected to that. But something that I think connects that to Hawaii is knowing who you are. Yes. You said chronics, like had that one line, why would yep. you go to yoga? And it's it struck. But something about just those simple words, know who you are. I was like, <gasps> you know, when you read something, I thought, oh, this makes so much sense. So how does that relate specifically to Hawaiian culture and ancient wisdom? Totally. So the the quote that you're referring to, it came from this guy, Greg Solitario, and he lives on Molokai in in Hawaii, and that's one of the islands. How I did this book is I would often just kind of go up to people that I was hanging out with, and I would ask them a very basic question, which is, what does wellness mean to you? And I love asking like the same question in different locations all around the world because you really get just a fascinating array of answers. And his answer was so simple, and yet it completely informed the direction that I went with in the chapter. And his answer was, to me, wellness is knowing your story. Like you have to know where you come from. And this is an idea that you'll hear Hawaiians talk about a lot when you go there. And the reason is that they have a a very, very deep relationship with their ancestors because their ancestors are the ones who kept the very land alive that they are living on today. So basically with Hawaii, you kind of have to understand a basic fact of geography that informs like everything about all the cultural practices, which is that the Hawaiian islands are the most isolated landmass in the entire world. So when you think about the fact that Polynesians sailed to Hawaii and they were able to not only survive in isolation on these islands, but thrive, like they developed whole systems of sustainability. They were able to keep the islands going for thousands upon thousands of years before any other humans came to the islands. And so when Hawaiians say, know your story, they're really pointing to the fact that they think about their ancestors every day and everything they do is informed by what their ancestors did because they're just trying to keep those practices alive because they they knew what they were doing from the get-go. And I think that that is really important to think about now because 
a lot of the time on the continental US and other places like we might not have such a strong sense of place and such a strong sense of our ancestors. Like I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily like think about my ancestors all the time on a day-to-day basis. Like, I don't know, do you? (laughs) Not at all. And actually was reading your book. I wanted to ask my, my dad about his childhood and my mom more about themselves. That's something that your book has already prompted. Yeah, we don't necessarily think of wellness as getting to know your family story and getting to know your history and and honoring your ancestors. But these are things that Hawaiians not only do, but like say that that is their key to well-being because every day they are just trying to live the truth of of their ancestors. And a lot of that also is connected to a sense of place, which I thought was a really interesting concept as well, that that not only is it thinking about your ancestors as people, but it's actually connecting to the land that you're on and developing a sense of place. It can be something as simple as one person that I interviewed said that wherever Hawaiians go in the world, the minute that they land, they kind of get to know the land and they'll like find out where their water is coming from, for example. And I remember when they said that to me, I realized like, I don't know where our water comes from in New York. I mean, do you know where the water comes from in New York? I think there is a big reservoir up near Woodstock, Hudson. Right. So Hawaiians will seek out that information like wherever they go, because to them having this sense of place and this deep tie to the land, that is true wellness because that is a way to connect yourself to the place. And so with their history, like connecting yourself to that place helps them feel more grounded and and more full of, of a person. And so I really love that idea. Something as simple as finding out where your water comes from, also just learning about like the mountains all around you or what are the rivers? What are the lakes? Like what's the history behind those things? It's so easy to not really understand your own backyard. But I love the idea of knowing that if you do that research, it will help you feel more grounded in your whole sense of being. Absolutely. And I think for all of us, as those natural resources are under threat, it's only once you start to spend time and be close to that beauty that you feel connected enough to fight for it. Exactly. I'm thinking of Hawaii as an example for those of us lucky enough who can travel. How do we do it responsibly as people coming into another culture? Oh, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. I could talk about this for hours. So I think my my biggest thing about this is to have a sense of curiosity about the culture that you're going to visit and to not come in with a preconceived idea of what you think it's going to be, but to just go in and talk to the locals. And it sounds like such a basic thing, but so many people don't do it. And so if you just start a conversation with people who actually live there and ask them like, what would you like me to see? Like, what, what are some cool 
places like, around you here. Like proud of in exactly. your community. Like, what would you like people to know? I'm a traveler. I'm interested about your life. Like, tell me about it. And that's so much of what I did with this book was I would just go ask people. And it's it's shocking how much that it's such a simple question. And then people are so happy when you ask them about their culture. And it's like, that shouldn't be a tip, but it is a tip because so many people don't do it. Another example of that is to pay attention to the local rules, especially in Hawaii when a lot of their land is sacred and a lot of the land is also especially susceptible to weather patterns. And so if you go on a hike, for example, and it starts raining, like there might be landslides and the signs will warn you of this. But a lot of people don't pay attention to the signs. They'll, they want to go in and get the shot for Instagram, for example. And there have been a couple of tourists in Hawaii recently who have died because they don't pay attention to the signs from the locals who really know the land and they know what can happen, especially with the oceans too, with all of the tides. Like there are some beaches where it's really strongly advised that you don't go swimming and people will come in and be like, well, I'm, I'm only here once. I'm going to go swimming in this ocean. And they get caught in the, in the riptide. So it's really, really, really important to respect the local rules and customs and cultures and do, do some research before you go to learn about them. One thing, because I want to talk about India, but I, I want to make a pit stop in Norway Ooh. because that's where you hiked so much. And I know that you're a hiker and a fit person, but to <laughs> think of Annie struggling <laughs> on these mountains and being a little shamed oh my was gosh. funny to me. What I love about the book too is that you don't only, you know, you delve into these places, but then you do have these kind of takeaway moments where you can, you really lay out simply, here are some ways you can bring this into your own life. And the one in Norway that struck me was take back Sundays as a nature day. Mm -hmm. And also fascinating that the Norwegians decide decided to just kind of come up with their own national identity around their mountains. I just think it's awesome to be like, we have some mountains that no one else has. Let's right. like go with that. Uh, totally. I think a lot of it just comes from their national identity. They were trying to figure out like what made them different from Sweden and Finland. And they realized like, oh, we have mountains and they don't. So let's lean into this. Let's like make this our thing. <laughs> so obviously not in that language, but that is basically what happened. And they, as a result, they, they started spending a lot of time outside in these mountains and they developed this cultural concept called free let's live, which translates to the fresh air life. And it's ingrained in the culture to spend as much time as humanly possible outdoors. And part of that is that like the entire country is outside on Sundays. It was nuts. I went for a hike on Sunday and there's a lot of space in the mountains so you don't ever feel super crowded. But it was so lovely to see that just everyone was outside. And I really love this idea that it's like, that's again, a very basic tip. Take Sundays to spend outside in nature. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. But I love the idea of being like, how long can I be outside for this entire day and make that the priority, but also not to let weather get in your way. 
Mm-hmm. Massive. Oh, yeah. They have that saying, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing, which I actually felt was a great concept to keep in mind during the pandemic, especially in the winter months when for outdoor dining, like I really had to keep reminding myself of that. There's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. Just bundle up. It's 30 degrees out. Wear eight layers and go outside. Like this one woman I interviewed, she told me that to her, wellness is all about like seeking out that rosy glow in your cheeks that you get when you walk outside. And again, such a simple definition, but I really, that has stuck with me as well because it is all about intentionally going out to get that rosy glow. And you just feel better when you have it and when you're outside. And it doesn't matter if it's raining. It doesn't matter if it's cold. If you have the right gear, you're going to get that rosy glow no matter what. And that's the key. I love it. There's, <laughs> yeah. If there is one like beauty tip in the book, Annie, that yeah, was it. It was. I Get know. I'm not much glow. of a beauty expert, but I will say seek out the rosy glow wherever you are. <laughs> well, maybe that's a good segue to ask about India and how this incredibly diverse place has been a huge force in your life for how many years now? Since 2014, so seven. And was the first time that you went to India with Raul, your now Mm -hmm. husband? My now husband. I met him in New York and three months later, I actually had a reporting trip in Australia. I think you remember this story. It was pretty crazy. So I was going to be in Australia and he had to go home. He's from New Delhi in India and he had to go home for a wedding And we had only been dating for three months, but we were sort of scheming like, oh, maybe if I'm flying over India on my way back to New York anyway, maybe I'll just like pop down, (laughs) no big deal, and go to India and go to this wedding with you and like meet your parents and do the whole thing. So that's what we did. And that is when I learned about Ayurveda on that trip. And Ayurveda is the ancient medical system of healing in India. And it dates back thousands upon thousands of years, like many of the concepts in this book. And I first learned about it from Rahul's mom because she is super into Ayurveda. And I had gotten this like coconut oil hair massage there that Rahul just loves to get them before events. And so we went to get them before that wedding that we were going to. And then I said, oh my gosh, I loved this coconut oil massage so much. Like who knew that my hair could feel so good after just putting coconut oil in it? And he said, oh, that's a big part of Ayurveda. You should talk to my mom about it. She's super into it. So she started giving me all of her books and some of her tips. And I, throughout the years, got more and more into it, but I never got like full on obsessed until I decided to go to an Ayurvedic hospital in India as research for this book. How did you find out about this very specific Ayurvedic hospital? So Kerala in India, it's in the south of India, it's known as the birthplace of Ayurveda. So I knew that that's where I wanted to go, but there are thousands upon thousands of places that you can go to learn more about Ayurveda. And it also had the hospital label, which 
as opposed to just being called an Ayurvedic resort or an Ayurvedic spa or, you know, an Ayurvedic hotel, if it's called a hospital, it basically is a certification given by the government that means that the staff there is highly trained in Ayurveda. It's basically like the gold star of Ayurvedic places. So that's why I chose that place. And then how they work is that people think like, oh, I'm going to just check into a spa, like how I do in the U.S. to relax. But even though it has that element, it's very different in India because you're learning about Ayurveda as you're there. So it's almost like it's an immersion into all of the practices and you go to lectures and you, and you learn about the history of these practices. And also you're guided by an Ayurvedic practitioner who you check in with them on day one and they talk to you about your, your mental health and all of your thoughts. And then they also explain all of the physical practices. But what I love the most about Ayurveda in general is that it's very, it's focused on prevention. And I think that that's something in the U.S. that we don't really focus on all that much. Like we're definitely a Band-Aid nation. Like we go to the doctor when we're sick, but we don't necessarily think of checking into a hospital to stay well. And that's what I did. And I think that that is one of the biggest takeaway lessons from Ayurveda is that taking care of yourself to prevent sickness is as important as taking care of yourself when you actually are sick. And so all of these treatments and practices that they do and that they teach you how to do when you're there are all about keeping yourself healthy. There was a really interesting situation that happened while you were there. And I think it was on maybe day three or four where you're having these progressive treatments and then in one of them, there were not just one very attentive practitioner, but two who mm -hmm. were focused on you and your health and the things you were working on. And you said that you started to feel very uncomfortable with that attention. You couldn't put it really into context until you talked to Raul. And what was his response? Because it was so beautiful. It was. So, I mean, the discomfort came from the fact that we're just not used to that. We're not used to people looking after us when we're not sick. I mean, we're hardly used to people looking after us when we are sick. Like, let's be honest. It's, you know, it's not like when you go to the doctor here, they'll spend so much time on you, like figuring out the root of the problem. That's just not what, what we're used to. And so I, I called Rahul because I was like, oh, I just feel so guilty about this. They're paying so much attention to me and I'm not even sick. And he was, he, he just sort of reminded me like, yeah, that's the difference between India and the U S like Ayurveda is all about prevention. They're not thinking about the fact that you're not sick because to them prevention is as important as, as healing you when you are sick. Also, I think there's something kind of energetic in that, that if you have gratitude and like an openness towards that care and healing and kindness coming to you, mm -hmm. that's I'm sure what helps the prevention, right? It's the lowering of stress. But if you're sitting there going, I feel so guilty, kind of locked up and seized in your American mindset, then that's hindering the process. I just thought it was really interesting about a perspective 
and totally yeah we can learn from no it definitely is and i mean i think that that's one of the main takeaway messages of this whole book is that it's all about recognizing the views that that we have and then being open to shifting them through learning about how other cultures approach the same idea and isn't that like what travel is all about and even if you're not necessarily traveling like reading my book just learning about other cultures at such a basic level it's so beautiful to think that we can grow up a certain way and then change our mindset as we're learning and talking to other people about these different ways of seeing the world and that's i really do think that's part of like not to be super cheesy but it is a little bit part of my calling is to find out these beautiful ideas and and lessons and help spread the word in like the best way that I can. <laughs> well, before we wrap up, I want to go back to Jamaica. Okay. And just end on this beautiful idea that the Rastafarians have about changing words to make them far more positive. And I'm wondering if you could just tell us about one or two of them and how they do that as a way to to end such a beautiful conversation. Oh, totally. So again, it stems back to oppression, um, but also what can happen when beauty comes out of, of a dark place. And I think that this whole approach to language that Rastas developed as a reaction to oppression was very beautiful. And the idea is that they don't want any words to sound negative because negativity reflects that oppression. And so when you think about a word like understand, they say overstand instead of understand because under reflects oppression because, you know, you don't want to be under someone. And so another one is they say appreciate love instead of appreciate, because appreciate sounds like hate and hate reflects oppression. Hate reflects negativity. So they'll say, I appreciate love you. Or like, I appreciate love that. Um, another one is they say full joy instead of enjoy because en enjoy sounds like end and you don't want anything to end. That's, that's a negative connotation. And so just this idea that you can change the way that you talk to change the way that you think, so beautiful. My gosh, it's just <laughs> gorgeous. Yeah. My last question, Annie, is what lights you up? Oh, <laughs> that is a great question. I think what lights me up is learning about new ways to live my life from other people. I just love it. I love talking to people and applying their wisdom to my own life, which is what I did in this book. And the reason I did that is I love to do that in my own life. Annie, <laughs> you're the best. I you're love the best. You. you light me up too. Thank you. Like, <laughs> so how can we follow you? Um, obviously the book is widely available, but how do we follow you, Annie Daly? Tell us. 
Well, I have a website, AnnieDaily.com, and most of my stuff is on there. And then in terms of social media, I would say Instagram is the platform I'm most active on. My handle is at Annie M. Daly, A-N-N-I-E-M as in Mary, D-A-L-Y. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Annie Daly. You can buy her book that's out now, Destination Wellness, uh, from the link on our website at www.lituppodcast.com. I have huge news for you all. Next week, I have Stanley Tucci on Lit Up, who I like to call the Tooch. And I am so excited. So tune in, tell your friends. We're going to talk about his new memoir, Taste. See you then. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.